0: in junior high school, I had a crush on Dawn. She played the flute in the band, and uh, she was pretty, I thought so, and popular. And for some reason, she would hang out with me in the band room after school, and we would talk. I even thought her name was pretty, Dawn. Not Dawn, like the guy, but like Dawn, like the sun coming up in the morning. sitting alone in the band room at Highland Junior High School. We made plans, jokingly at first, to go to New York together. We'll take a trip. But after a while, the discussion got a little bit more serious. And it got to the point where, really, the only only point in continuing talking was, did you ask your parents yet? So that was the next step. So one day, I went home, and I asked my mom, and she said she would have to think about it. Now what I'm going to admit is, I didn't pronounce Dawn's name like Dawn, I said Don, and I avoided pronouns like her and she. <laughs> then one day, for some reason, my mom was in the band room, and she, I said, hey mom, I want to introduce to you to Dawn, who I'm going to New York with. And she said, oh, no, you're not. (laughs) And I put in the required, you know, why nots and don't you trust me, but those died off quickly. I knew once all the information came out, there was no way that we were going. And she had to say no. It's her mission. And I don't mean that lightly. And I don't mean it jokingly. Part of the job of a mother is to shape the world and not just for her son or her daughter, it's her job to shape culture. She's shaping the people who are going to marry, the people who are going to vote, who become our parents, who become religious, who pray, who decide what is good, what is worthy, what is a noble life. And through them, she forms the world. Moms see the worth in forming the children, not just for the children's sake, But for the sake of the world it takes a long time and a lot of effort and it takes a lot of hope that it's going to stick and continue on we hand on what we found valuable and beautiful and good and true that's how cord that's what culture is the handing on of all these things that the last generation thought was great and that hope of course yes is for the child that it'll make life better for them but In making life better for them, if life is better for them, it's gonna be better, the life is gonna be better for the people around them. And then there'll be life that's better for the people who are around them. And in turn, it makes our culture, our nature, our faith, healthier and better. That's how our faith is supposed to work. That's how our church is supposed to work. And often the image is, the way that it works is that there's some powerful government or an institution or corporations or some evil society maybe even that shape our lives and our culture beyond our abilities to have anything to do. And maybe there's some credence to this, particularly in the short term, but it's not entirely true. And it's not true in the long run. Take, for example, this painting. Someone just last week was asking me why Jesus is holding the flag of Sweden. <laughs> I looked it up and it's really darn close to the flag of Sweden, but it, wrong colors. So what's with the flag? If you notice, some of you are gonna be able to see it and some of you aren't. On the altar below, uh, in gold, there's the lamb sitting on the book of seven seals. This is from the book of Revelation. This is the, the lamb once slain who rises again. And he's holding, it's all in gold, but he's holding the exact same flag down there. According to legend, one day Constantine was looking up into the sky, and into the clouds, and he saw a red cross on a white background. And God said to him, in this sign, you will conquer And so he had the cross, painted at all, his shields and his banners, and the armies went forward, and you know what? They conquered. And so this flag became the symbol of victory, life over death. So Jesus carries this flag as he's coming out of the tomb. But it's also under Constantine that Christianity became legal in the Roman Empire, Consider Saint Sebastian died in the year 288 at a time when just being Catholic, just being Christian could mean your death. And then by the time uh, uh, Constantine dies in 337, it's not only accepted, the emperor himself, granted on his deathbed, is baptized a relatively short amount of time to Christians becoming accepted. And here's a bit of information to know when judging the quality of your history professor. Some will say that the Roman Empire became Christian because Constantine became Christian. But it is more likely Constantine became Christian because Rome was becoming Christian. How did Rome become Christian? Moms raised their children, those children influenced their friends, those friends influenced friends. And if if Constantine wanted to retain power, he also had to become Christian or become an outsider in his own empire. And what happened to change the leader and government of the most powerful empire in the world up to this point? It wasn't a war, It wasn't the whims of the rich and powerful. It wasn't forced legislation. It was the piety of the people, the people who took their faith seriously and influenced others to take their faith more seriously. And over time, they ended up changing the very fabric of the empire of culture to this very day, the world, history. We've seen this gradual change of seemingly impossible things in our own day and in our own nation. You know, when I was a kid uh, at Slovene Center, if we were going to have a dance, and my dad was secretary, so we often had to decorate. You know, the very first decoration that you put on the on the tables were these multicolored ashtrays, because everybody smoked. People smoked everywhere. It never occurred to me that someday there would be this vast moratorium on smoking in just about any public place, but it happened. Think about the recent change we've had in abortion laws. I never thought I would see. Everyone always said, you will never change these laws. There's no way. It's too entrenched, and we've seen the first cracks in our own day. Why, because legislators are changing it? No, the legislature wouldn't do it unless you wanted it and you pushed for it. This has also been the history of the church for 2000 years. Take the example of saints who lived in times when the church was in danger, either because of outside influences and often because of inside influences. It is always revitalized again when one thing happened When individual men and women decided to be intentional disciples of Jesus Christ, of the Good Shepherd, when one of us decided that he or she was going to strive to be holy, we have the great example of the lives of some of the saints. Joan of Arc, if you want to know more about Joan of Arc, read Mark Twain's account of her life. Excellent. Awesome. She is amazing what she faced from governments and the church and went forward for Jesus Christ. Saint Therese Littleflower, Saint John Vianney, Saint Francis. In the time of Saint Francis the church suffered from corruption, irreverence, and insincerity. And Saint Francis was not a powerful man. He was not clergy, He was not a king or an emperor. He didn't own a big company. And what he did have, he gave away. He lived life as a pauper. What he didn't do was wait for the right pope to come along. A pope that was holy enough for him that he could be hoped to be led into holiness, kicking and screaming, right? He also didn't wait for the bishops to get their act together. He didn't look to religious to refocus, he didn't rely on his pastor, he didn't rely on the people around him to become holy. Rather, he concerned himself with what every Christian should, becoming a saint, one of the two options, and the other one is just hell. God spoke to Francis and said, Francis, repair my church. As you can see, it is falling into ruins. Sounds like our own day. At first he took it literally. He found a building that was falling apart and he starts rebuilding it. It's only after time that he realized God wasn't talking about a church. He was talking about the church. And what did he do? He worked at becoming holy. And that attracted people to him. And those people started becoming holy. And as they became holy and went out into the world, the people with whom they had contact started becoming holy. The church became holier and the probably more successful after St. Francis's time than during his time. Matter of fact, it's still happening today. And you're hearing of this. His life is still influencing us toward holiness. It may seem like it would be nicer or quicker or more effective if we just had leaders that would make us holy. But in reality, it never truly works that way. Like a mom who chooses that she and her family will be good, it is about individual brothers and sisters in the Lord choosing their vocation to be holy and influencing the people around them and bringing the body of Christ to holiness. Not waiting, not following the crowd, but following the Good Shepherd and remaining close to the Eucharist. I think of when I was a very young person, Lori Bailey. I remember we were coming to choir practice at church and there was uh, a young man there with uh, significant developmental challenges. And he sat down at the organ and just started pounding on it, you know, and everyone else was gonna run up and go, what are you doing, you know? What did Lori Bailey do? She went up to him and said, hey, Chuck, how's it going? It's so good to see you. Why don't you come with me? We'll go over here so they can get choir practice started. What did she do? She treated this person with the dignity that he deserved. And that was a huge influence on a young me. There's a group in this parish who are, I'll use their own words, who feel helpless, frustrated, disappointed, anger and confused about what's going on in our church and in the culture right and what they said was let's not wait for someone to lead us to do something let's start change right now let's let's between the small group of them let's just start becoming holier and then they thought what if we shared it with the parish and anybody who wants to can join us They're going to do it whether you do it or not, but they're inviting you to join them. And you read about the invitation to you in the bulletin, and they came up with these calendars that they put in the uh, lobbies, which you can pick up if you want, and talking about the things that they're going to do, to pray, to be active, to fast. There's a guy in the parish that people often call before they call me when they need spiritual advice. And what does he do? He says, I will meet with you, but only if you do adoration with me first. There's a group of young people who for years have been like a, doing a, a bomb visit to adoration in various churches around the diocese. They stay for 15 minutes, they come in and mass. they stay for 15 minutes, get up and walk out. And someone asked them the other day, what are you doing? And they said, there's a bunch of us and we figure if we all come and do 15 minutes, that's about four hours of adoration for God. Awesome. There's a group of young people who called me uh, recently and they, on their own, decided that they were sick and tired of a culture of death and started protesting, started praying, uh, started contacting their legislatures, and even people who are their pro-life and got a whole bunch of resources and books which they passed on to me and I'm going to give them to you in the upcoming months. It's amazing. Also in this parish is a group of people who call disciples of the dying. They pray for people who are dying. They pray with people who are dying. And they instruct families, what do you do with a family member who's dying? How do you take care of them? They do all that. They didn't wait for someone else to be holy. They didn't let anything deter them from prayer or sacraments or duty but started about the business of being holy. And thereby, we are changing the world. I forgot, I'm not done. (laughs) On this Mother's Day, I wanted to uh, call to mind our mothers who are doing so much work so much are the backbone of the church, right? The ones who lead us and who give us, who instill this, our culture, what's good about our culture to pass on. And probably we are all here, most of us anyway are here, because of the faith that was handed on to us. And so on this Mother's Day, I would like to offer a prayer for our mothers who aren't here, for the mothers who have died, and for all you mothers who are here today, active, those who have done their job, but you never finish your job in this lifetime, but, and those who are just starting. So please join me in prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Loving God as a mother gives life and nourishment to her children, so you watch over your church. Bless our mothers those who are here with us today in the pew, those who are unable to be with us, those who have passed on, those who loved us as a mother, let the example of their faith and love shine forth and grant that we, their sons and daughters, may honor them always with a spirit of profound respect and live the good good virtues they wish to instill in us. Grant this through Christ our Lord. And for our mothers who are here today, may almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.